Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to another edition of your favourite podcast, Insane in the Membrane. Insane in the Membrane. Here we are again. It's your old pal Wilson. Uh, falling into your ears thanks to the wonderful work of producer Paul. Thank you again, producer Paul, for making this... I mean, at least getting it out there it wouldn't get out there otherwise it'd just be me chatting to a laptop and going no further so thank you producer Paul what a legend uh, before we begin uh, we, listen we, we do us a favour right and become a patron I know sounds like I'm begging right? I'm not begging I'm kind of begging not really begging just would like it if you could help us out just to keep it going just you know all the money that we make goes back into the podcast and uh, and, and that's that's it really so if you could do that for us it's a couple of quid a month that's all and for your money you get over 50 archive interviews you get early access to our filmed interviews that we're doing now uh, so go to patreon.com forward slash membrane podcast or click the link tree link in the podcast description and all of my social media bio so if you go to i am rich wilson on instagram uh, in the bio there you'll see link tree click on that that'll take you to my website that'll take you to everything that producer paul's doing takes you to our patreon page takes you to all the things that we're doing it's wonderful technology that uh, it, it will benefit you no end uh, and it will benefit us too if you jump on and become a patron that would be really nice um that's it that's it just just bung us a couple of quid you won't even notice it i know it's tricky at the minute it's a couple of quid and we'd really appreciate it thank you very much indeed thank you to our patrons that we already have we love you well done for being on board uh we really appreciate it there will be things coming there's things we're working on that we'll be giving to our patrons as well so there are things happening uh, and so stay tuned for that so thank you very much also this week as part of our Edinburgh season of episodes, um, which is where we, where our guests are part of uh, taking shows up to the Edinburgh Festival, um, we've got Glenn Moore. Glenn Moore. Oh, I know. I love. I love Glenn Moore. Met Glenn uh, a few years ago when um, we were doing a gig in Exeter, of all places, and I was just, I was just immediately struck by him. I thought he was great. Really made me laugh. Lovely, lovely dude. Um, and we talked about the episode when we met and uh, yeah, he's a lovely guy really easy to chat to this episode really rocketed by most of them do actually I think I don't think we've ever had an issue with anyone it's always felt pretty cool I'm always I'm, I'm, I, I don't mind talking to people actually I like it so I find it quite easy to do so um, I think I can count on one hand I think there's one episode but there's one episode that we recorded and we just went, you know what, I don't think that should go out. We was just, there wasn't any chemistry between myself and the guest and it wasn't a lot of fun for either of us, I don't think. And we just went, you know what, let's just bin that one. And you're, you're listening there going, oh, we want that, we want that. Tell you what, give us 20 grand and we'll release it. You can have that one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's the only time. The rest of the time, everyone's been pretty cool. I love talking to people. I'm really... I'm, I'm, even one that didn't work I was honoured to have to have that particular guest on it just didn't work out that time but you know they've all been brilliant going forward and this one in particular is a brilliant one Glenn Moore is a lovely lad you'll have a great time listening to him I'm going to stop wittering on so coming up in a minute is Glenn Moore if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. A podcast from producer Paul.co.uk. Insane in the membrane. What was it you used to do when I met you when we did Exeter? What was it you were doing? So I used to read. I used to be a newsreader. So I used to read the news on like LBC and um, places like that, like Classic FM and stuff like that. Um, and it was just it, it, honestly trying to juggle that with stand up late at night. Because it was like breakfast radio. I still work in breakfast radio now, but as like a co-presenter um, right. at Absolute. And that's a lot more fun. And it's like a comedy radio station. And it's it's at least good fun. And it's something to look forward to getting up to. But just like going from reading about, you know, having to talk about terror attacks and stuff at four in the morning and then rushing to, yeah, places that are extra or whatever. And then rushing straight back overnight every single night of the week was just, yeah, Chaos. comedy ways to do it. Awful. <laughs> I think... Well, by the way, this is it. This is it. We just we just start chatting. By the way, um, okay. I this is the thing when I met you, and yeah, you were doing that. You were you rushed. We got to Exeter, <clears throat> and then we had to fiddle around, and then you were just you did your gig, and then you were just straight back out the door. Yeah, it was me, you, Eddie, and Bruce, you and we'd, 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 we'd driven on the way there. I think I was opening, and I think I did yeah. about eighteen minutes, and just had to get like the last train back, or to get the mega bus back overnight, or something like that. Because I think I was yeah, working yeah. at LBC. Uh, I think the shifts used to start at like 4.30 a.m. And I'd be reading news from like 5. So what I'd usually do is I'd get a train straight into like Leicester Square and I'd sleep on the sofas in Leicester Square um, uh, in the building, Um, which despite being like pretty soundproof glass, Friday night in Leicester Square, the amount of like (laughs) chanting and songs and vomit permeates that and it's so hard to get to sleep because also <laughs> because it's one of those because it's like quite a modern building as well it's not it doesn't have like traditional light switches that you can turn on and off it's like permanent light it's like motion sensor light switches so i had to like oh. walk through like oceans 11 like as, qu- as slowly as possible if i wanted to be able to sleep because if i set the lights off then it was bright like hospital lighting for at least an hour um and occasionally you get woken up by like the light coming on uh, which just meant rats. That was the only thing it could mean. Yeah. That was, uh, that, because there was no one else around. It was, yeah, I used to live like that every day. How did that, I mean, your your mind must have been scrambled. Yeah, it's one of those, you know, like, people always say this about stuff like stand-up, but when you look back at the first few years and when you started, you'll be, you just gobsmacked why on earth you ever did it or, or, or how you managed it. And yeah. at the time, it just wasn't a... It was all I'd kind of known in my professional life to do to to have that sort of scheduling, um, and so I was just kind of used to it. And honestly, I think your your brain just sort of gets sort of wired to it after a while. You know, like it, it, you always say, like, oh, you know, certain politicians and stuff, or what you know, always manage to sleep on like four hours sleep or whatever. And if you have four hours sleep, you go, how <laughs> how can you do anything on that amount of sleep? But actually, if you did if you did that for a few weeks, you sort of get into that sort of mindset. And I think lockdown suddenly having like a decent amount of sleep and sort of staying in made me suddenly think I- I'd never be able to do that again. Never, never, never. No. And then as soon as I was forced kind of back into doing that again over the last sort of 18 months or so, it was like, oh no, you do. I think you do just get used to it. Your body, your body adapts to whatever situation. And so my body Ooh. adapted to sleeping on very thin sofas in Leicester square. 
<laughs> with the chance of the of the drunkards outside <laughs> yeah as your lullabies but also i think when you're sort of if you're working that hard you don't think you d- you don't ever stop to think what the hell am i doing because all you're doing no. is checking your diary sort of going what's the next genuinely what is the next thing i've got to rush to every it was just permanently permanently rushing um it felt like every single day was like a really low stakes version of uncut gems just re- <laughs> just like constant stress and me at all times thinking i'm not i'm not successful enough to be this stressed like <laughs> i'm not i'm not successful enough to be this busy i'm running between 20 unpaid things a day there's no like why why am yeah. i doing any of this but if i'd stopped to think that then i probably would have i probably would have stopped altogether i think i know what you mean it, it yes even now there's still it doesn't matter what sort of level you get onto there's still things that um, that you still have to, you know, you still have to put yourself out for in order to achieve something later on. Like I've just, I've did some gigs I've just picked up, I've not done before, and I have to work clean. And when I said to, I said, yeah, 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 that's fine. And then I went through all my material. I'm like, oh no, oh no, I don't have anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> even if, so if, no, if even if a routine's not specifically about sex or something like that, you sort of go, oh, like I don't, I, I technically don't have to swear, but this well placed fuck genuinely changes the punchline between whether or not I get zero laughter or an applause break. And I need that. And it's, yeah, that sort of stuff is, it's so difficult because it's changing something that you've done every single night or something that you do every single weekend for years and years and years. And you've got to suddenly, it's suddenly not second nature having to just change, change a punchline. And also like if it's a chain of gigs that you say never done before, then you've, the, the first night you'll find out whether or not that change works is in front of them. Like, yes. at what is essentially an audition. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> it's one of those, I've just, what I've done, I've just collected all the all the ideas that I had that I was like, no, that's not strong enough. That's quite weak. That's, yeah. oh, that's quite sort of, that's quite, everybody's sort of talked about that. And now I'm like, no, I, I need all of that, please. And just, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm just going to just sell it like it's, like it's the best thing they've ever heard. And we'll just see, we'll just see. But it's certainly, it's certainly scrambled my, my noggin for a bit just that again I'm rushing again like you I'm just rushing around again and you know Do you I like hope it? it pays off I'd rather that than not yeah I think I'd rather that I'd ra- I know I I know when it gets quiet then I think oh no that's it I'm over I'm done my, my career's finished oh, man. I'm trying to me and my girlfriend are trying to force ourselves like next time like January rolls around to sort of try and remind ourselves January's always rubbish it's yes. always there's always no work there's nothing and we're yes. always going to be fine. And we always complain in the autumn that we never get an evening in or anything like that. I, 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 I need, I need to try and remind myself of that. And I never can. I go, I fall into this pit of despair every January and February and I just go, <laughs> well, that career was fun while it lasted, I guess, but nothing there. That was it. That was it. It's yeah. It's ridiculous. I've had that every single year for like six years now. It's ridiculous. Yeah. 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 We all, and the thing is you think you're the only one that's thinking it and it's yeah. not only in our industry, it's in, the, I think because we're animals fundamentally, we're supposed to be hibernating. So we're all kind of, we, we tend to stay in a bit more because it's the weather's rubbish, it's cold. You know, we, we do, we kind of gather our things around us. But then we start thinking, oh, well, is this it then? This is, is this it forever? Well, this is, because my, my birthday's in the middle of January. And so I always had this with regards to like, oh, it's really tricky trying to get all my friends to come out. And I'm and, and, and look, for, for reality, the reality I hope is January. No one's got any money. No one's drinking in January. The weather's really miserable. But all I'm thinking of my thought process every year is, oh, they're probably really busy being on TV. They've, all, they've probably all got all those TV shows that are being booked in January. And that, like friends of mine, who don't even. I've got friends who are gardeners. They're not even looking to be on TV in the first place. And that's all. Like that's genuinely what the first like subconscious thought process is. And that's it. And that's how I think. It's, I think one of the things, and this has been said in here before, mm. I think the pandemic really made me realise that we are fundamentally all the same. doesn't matter where we are successfully yeah. or where we are in life. We are fundamentally the same. We're all having the same worries in different brackets. Like, you know, you're, you're thinking, we're thinking our careers are over. People are thinking that their social life is over and they're not popular. And it's all the same. We're all the same. And it, I, think, and it, I think that helped, that yeah. helped me through it the pandemic and not in a nasty way, not in like, uh, you know, like Ed Norton in fight club where he goes to always like cancer support groups and it makes him feel better because everyone's lives are so much worse. Not in that way, but just mm. in the sense of like, 
it reassured me that like okay it, it, every every everyone is everyone is in exactly the same boat um yes. and i would have panicked normally about like if i wasn't say doing the edinburgh fringe which then just didn't feel remotely important but if if i was if i wasn't doing the edinburgh fringe say this year i'd probably sit at home and just be looking up online at all times being like everyone is progressing their careers and and making useful stuff out of it and i'm sat at home doing nothing and i'd really panic and actually that was kind of useful to know in 2020, no, no one was able to do that, and that actually that kind of helped me through, but not in a gleeful way, just in a no. All right, every, every, everyone has been everyone is being forced to plateau. That was um, it, uh, despite it being overall a bad experience for everyone, <laughs> was a really like pivotal moment in improving my mental health. I think genuinely that that, that period because it was like, oh, none of this matters. Then none, none of what I've been striving for for the past few years matters, yes. and that's kind of a good thing. Not, I didn't mean it in a futile way, but it was just like, oh, you can you can relax a bit more. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to get into that headspace ahead of the Edinburgh Fringe because I think that's when, that's the time when career stuff gets most on top of you, I think. And I'm so, so. I'm so looking forward to on like a Friday afternoon or whatever at like 5 p.m. just getting on a commuter train and just, just sitting amongst everyone else who is leaving Edinburgh for the day and just thinking, oh yeah, this is... This is so unimportant in the wider scheme of things. Or just going to a different oh, town yeah. where there's not posters of everyone you know on every wall. That's really handy as well. That's a really <laughs> that's a really handy thing to do. And there's always there's always in the festival, there's always a couple of people that are the talk of the festival. Everybody's every and it's oh they're they you know. And it, and yeah, and you just, and it's not personal that they're not talking about you, it's just that that's just happening to them, and there's that tendency, I think, for a lot of comedians to go, "Well, I'm failing." You know, well, you're not failing. Are people coming to your show? Yes. Will you yeah. get things from this festival? Yeah, of course you will. So, oh, Rich, I've I've lived with them. Do you know what it's like living with Phil Wang at the Edinburgh Fringe? Do you know what that? Do you know what <laughs> oh, it's like Phil. as an experience? He last time we lived together in 2019, his run had sold out before we went up to Edinburgh. That was like <laughs> he did, it did, and then he did the big gigs in the big rooms as well. Yeah. Um, it's so, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, but, but those experiences, you, you sort of think, look, how many thousands and thousands of shows there are, what, what genuinely, what percentage of people are genuinely having a good time? If that, if that's the criteria we base it on, then exactly. it's so, like, I've no, I, I like as much as I find it such a useful experience and it's a wonderful event. Uh, I've never, I've never enjoyed myself there ever. Never. No. Never, no. Because, because of the stress, just because of the stress of it It's all. a stress, it's 100% the stress. It's it, 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 like, I've always seen it as your A-levels, but the entire country can look up your results online. Like that, that's, <laughs> that's what it, every, like, and um, I think, I don't know, I, can't, I, I think for, for the first couple of times I went up, like as a student or whatever, just watching shows or anything like that, I, I really, I really sort of enjoyed that. Or just doing like the odd gig here and there was so enjoyable because there was no pressure and every, everything just felt bigger than you and you sort of go, wow, this is something to really sort of strive for. And then I think the 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 pressure around debutantes and stuff like that is so ridiculously sort of toxic. And and I I fully felt the pressure when I did my debut in like, that would have been 2016, mm. um, of just being so, of just knowing I had, th- I had to, I had three reviewers in on the very, very first day of my run wow. and it was like for, fortunately I managed to like fill it with friends the review's really nice and that had then helped me have a good run but that that is amongst the most pressure I'd ever felt doing comedy and under any circumstances for what is ultimately meant to be a fun thing and I, it made yeah. me really resent and have a real chip on my shoulder about people who went up in like the 90s when it was like 10 shows or whatever or like um, one of the agents at uh, Avalon was saying uh, he. I think he was talking about Chris Addison. He was like, "Well, when Chris Addison came up, he had like, like a vague idea for a show, and then about a week into the fringe, um, decided he wanted to sort of do the show from behind a lectern. So we got like a lectern, and he sort of sourced that, and that just sort of retransformed the show. And by the end of the month, the show was just a completely different thing. He sort of wrote a lot of it sort of during the month, and I think he won the main award at the end of it. And you just sort of think <laughs> that cannot happen now. That would never. You've got to go up with this finished." product and yeah, i know that like yeah. the first few days of a fringe are meant to be like preview shows but like people that's now meant to be like a sneaky opportunity to be like get your reviewers in then get your reviewers in in the preview shows then you get the early reviews and you sort of go it, it's it's um yeah it's ultimately such a terrifying experience and i'm someone who's always taken like even just like the sl- like the slightest adjective or whatever in a review really poured over it and analyzed it good or bad to be like what mm-hmm. what do they mean but what do i need to change um, all my opinions are based on basically other people's opinions. So if I had, 
if if there was like this situation, let's let's say the Edinburgh Fringe is coming up. If it was like a sold out show every day, audiences who were just incredibly nice, really really enjoyed it, and even sang really nice things after the show. No reviews, but just already really nice audience members. And then halfway through the show, halfway through the run, it gets like a really like tepid, not even about like tepid three stars. It's like meh, a bit disappointing, really. I would that would immediately change my entire perception of the show based on that entire one thing. And I would yeah, then be right. like, oh, I was silly for thinking that was a good show because it's in print that it's that it's disappointing. That that I I would I would a hundred percent put that on a pedestal above anyone else's opinion. And I think it probably comes from. It depends on the scale of the review, but I guess it's like my my, my thinking and my reasoning was always like, if that was a broadsheet, more people will read that review than will ever see the show. And as a result, whether they like it or not, will form some sort of opinion based on that rather than my show. And, and that's something I have no control over. And I find that element, I'd find that element mm. really frustrating. Um, yeah. And so that's that's 100% what gets in my head every year. It's, pure, it's purely reviews. It's, not, it's nothing... It's never about audiences or anything like that at all. No. As much as much as they are like, they're really nice and they really cheer me up. It, but it, that's never the audiences are never the stress. It's always just the idea of a reviewer. I've built up in my head so much, so much. But that's the that's the thing, isn't it? It's like you'll you'll do a show. The audience that were there had an incredible time. Like they were like, "Oh, I really enjoyed that. That was exactly what I needed. I paid for a, I paid for a good show. I paid to have a laugh. I had what I paid for. And I've left now. I'm on cloud nine could have the brilliant rest of my day is gonna be fantastic and i love glenn moore i think glenn moore's brilliant what a brilliant comedian but there'd be a but there'd be a reviewer in and because they've reviewed a thousand shows it's their job yeah and they'll go yeah you know yeah glenn glenn is great but the show needed bloody bloody blah or it needed this or whatever whatever they say and and that's what we and that's how we're judged and it really upsets me a bit that the show was great and the people that came to see it loved it but because the reviewer went, yeah, it wasn't as good as the last one or not as good as this or whatever. That's that's it. You know, kind of go, yeah. it should be, they shouldn't have that much importance. No disrespect to any, to anybody that's reviewing, any reviewer. No, because they, they probably don't ask to have that much power. <laughs> Do you know no. what I mean? They, they would probably, uh, I'm sure so many of them would be mortified if they found out just how much, how people had end up, ended up in real emotional depth because of something they'd mm. written like a really blase way. hundred percent. Um, but yeah, I, I've uh, there have been entire shows that I've looked back on with nothing other than embarrassment and shame, purely because of like an absolutely fine three star review. But I was like, well, yeah, I was I was silly, I was silly for liking that, and I feel like I've I feel like I've conned the audience. Um, <laughs> it's such an unhealthy outlook. I'm hoping that like having been away from Edinburgh for like two years has made me sort of realize because also I think the I I'd done four shows in a row. And so to have done one in 2016 and then you sort of go, right, that went well. So pressure's on to do an even better show. And then 2017, I don't think went as well as 2016. So then it was like, well, pressure's on to do better than that. Like regardless of whether or not yeah. it's good or bad, it's always like the pressure's on to me. And then like 2018 was probably the best it's gone. And so it was like, well, now there's pressure to better that. And it was like, well, no, why can't I just, why can't I just rest on that for a while? <laughs> and then so it, year on year on year, it just kept on getting more and more pressure. And I'm hoping this year, with the Edinburgh Fringe very, very fast approaching, that it'll be like, I think I'll probably go into it with a bit more of a Zen attitude and not, and and also, you, I guess you reach a stage where you just sort of go, I'm not as reliant on reviewers anymore. Or you just, or you just think mm. I, like, really, really, how much would one change? How much would one reviewer ch- fully change my life and career now? I think it can potentially, like the first time a reviewer has seen you. Yeah. And if like, if out of nowhere, the time saw you and gave you five stars, you sort of go, oh, that's a, that's a game changer. But generally, yeah. It doesn't matter. Is what I'm going to try. Is what I'm going to try and tell myself every day in August. I'm hoping. The thing it's, is, you're already. I, I, I'm so aware of how dumb it is. I'm so aware of what a dumb <laughs> viewpoint that is. But I but can't it's, shake it's, it because it's, it's all it's of the nature. Known. It's the nature of the beast, mate. It's the nature of what we do, especially in that environment. You're uh, the thing is, you're already doing the things that you would have gotten from. Well, you've already done the things that you got from Edinburgh last time. So you're doing the things. You yeah, know that, that's it. it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what I'm. Do you know? I, do you know what it was? So this is. Um, I won't. I won't say who it was. So before my current agent, I had my my the first agent I had was brilliant, but quite uh, live, mo- mostly sort of like live based. And I remember a few promoters saying to me like, "Oh, your agent is brilliant. You're going to get. You'll you'll be you'll do really really well on the circuit." Just to let you know, traditionally with this agent, they haven't been able to get anyone any radio stuff, TV stuff, podcast stuff, any anything. Just right. be aware of that. And it was like, 
okay, well, fine. But I, you know, I, I still trust them. And I, you know, that's not what it's all about for me. And, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and then I was in a double act. And this is at the fringe. This is like, we, we went up our first year uh, to the fringe, like 2013, with no PR, no agent, nothing. And it's sort of like right. the, the show word of mouth wise went really well. So the second time we went with like promoters and PR and an agent and stuff like that. And um, I remember the this agent saying before the before the fringe, oh, we've got quite a few. I've managed to get quite a few important TV people coming in to see you guys, and I was just thinking, oh my god, that's incredible! I can't wait for this. Yeah. And um, I remember thinking, well, this is quite. This is this isn't what I heard. This is amazing, you know. And um, it got to like a few weeks into the fringe, and I was like, so how have they come? What did what did they think? And she said, um, ah, yeah, bad news on that front. They all basically, I think they read that three star review you guys got and they basically just all can they all rang up and cancelled after that no. and what it became quite apparent was these people were never booked in to see but like they did <laughs> they were never coming uh. in the first place but i think it was like a way of sort of covering tracks and then putting the blame on us and being sort of like that you guys didn't get the good reviews so what can i do that a hundred percent is like the moment it sort of clicked in my head of like fuck if you uh, three stars is like Worse than killing someone. <laughs> yeah, uh, your name is Mud in the first. You know, like, uh, and so, yeah. uh, and so. Obviously, even though in retrospect, knowing fully well that is where this all comes from for me, and I know it's all complete nonsense, I still can't shake that subconscious element. So, um, when it came round to sort of doing debut solo show and stuff, where it's like, right, really got to try and launch your career here, um, the idea of like three or lower just just scared me so 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 much and i still feel that sense now if i get like if someone messages me to say like oh that uh, uh, there's a review of you out now i'll sort of google it and open it and then it's only when you sort of see if i see the star rating and it's like four it's like oh, oh my god okay phew okay it's not like a sense of joy it's just a sense of right we survived that we survived that one okay great phew um and it, it it's compl- like as a result, it's something that so gets in my head and absolutely terrifies me. Um, and I don't and I don't know why because obviously it's cl- <laughs> it clearly never has a major effect. I've never had anyone. I've had I've had like important people come and see a show based on like a good review. I've never ever known anyone to like cancel a show or anything like that because like and go I'm not seeing that show because I saw I had a tepid review. I've never seen it work that way. But in my head, I'm like. Guess that's the way the industry works because of an offhand comment <laughs> someone made in 2014 to cover their ass. <laughs> but you've it's got so you, dumb. now you've you've achieved things now. You've got you were nominated, right? Yeah, for the for the, for the and was it was it that was great. Or? That was really nice. Um, and it, it surely was, that should surely that should go against now. That should like it cancel should, it out. Should. And do you know what that? Do you know what that was really nice because that show in 2018 had had like all the reviews were really nice. But it wasn't getting like a massive amount of reviews. All the reviews were nice, but they were from like sort of smaller publications and stuff like that. And then the nomination came along and I don't think many like big reviewers come to see it because by this point it was like my third show. I think people thought they had a good gauge of sort of where I was at. Um, and then so when I was nominated, what happened when I was standing at the back of the Tron, which is the room I was in. And so there's no like backstage area. You just have to stand and just watch the audience come into your room. And there I saw like the reviewers for like The Guardian, The Times, The Sunday Times, Chortle, Beyond the Joe, all come in in one group and just sit together. And I think ordinarily that would have absolutely terrified me. But I think in that moment I was like, nothing can... I'd literally been nominated like an hour previously. It was like n- nothing can shake that for me yeah. at all. Like I'm, this is going to be fine. And that filled me with so much confidence going up. And then like the first couple of reviews of them came out the next day and there were like fours and it was like, oh, this is this. And I just didn't, it didn't, I just didn't feel as phased, you know, because I was like, oh, I'm, mm. I'm, I feel finally like beyond that. Um, and then like, I think maybe a couple of days later, one of them, one of those people came out and it was like a three. And I just, for the first time, just didn't care. And I was like, Brilliant. oh, it's a bit disappointing, but it was like, oh, phew. Okay, fine. Um, but then it completely reset the following year. 2019 went up to the fringe, absolutely terrified. Had like a student reviewer in the first day. And I knew it was like, this is being posted on like some minuscule blog that no one would ever come across. But I was still terrified knowing someone was in. Um, and right. I just couldn't, I just couldn't shake that. And um, and again, like, I think the, uh, it, I, it's so dumb, but I think do, doing a, show the year after being nominated and not getting nominated for like the follow-up then made me at some points think God, I wish I hadn't been nominated originally because this feels like such a step but this feels humiliating that like not I didn't feel humiliated but I was like everyone must think this is humiliating for me yes and so and it was again such a dumb thought process no one would care no no one would care I've known people who have been nominated and not been nominated the following year or whatever 
I don't care. <laughs> like, that's not my thought yeah. process at all. But um, to then subsequently take the show on tour, I felt really embarrassed and I felt really I felt really guilty doing that show every night because I was I'd be sort of waiting in the wings and being like, I'm about to con a really uh, nice audience who have maybe arranged for babysitters and have had a nice night. Maybe this is the first night out in ages and people have spent a lot of money on these tickets and stuff. You know, it's just I and I and I thought and I'm giving them an absolute heap of shit because this show is a backward step from last year. Even though it was like wow. I know the show was better than the previous year and yeah. I was so proud of it going up. But like that uh, in the space of like an hour, my 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 attitude towards it had changed to one of complete like, uh, just one of just shame and just like I was I I, f- I feel really I feel really silly for having written a show in the first place. This this was a bad <laughs> idea. Mate. I'm hoping that I never have that thought process again. Like I'm going out to the fringes time with like this is my best show without doubt by yep. quite some distance. I'm really happy with it. I'm really proud of it. And I'm happy for anyone in the world to see it. And I'll go into it with the same level of pride every day. And that's, that's how it sort of should be. And I'm really hoping I can keep that mindset up. Um, yeah. That's exactly I'm, how it should be. I'm hoping. Yeah, we've, been, we've, not been for, we've not been for a couple of years. Well, I went up, I went up for a week last year and wasn't, yeah. it was just, we were just kind of. You went to the good one, the, the best fringe yeah. ever. Best fringe ever. It was back to how it was in the 90s where you could just rock up. Do what you got to do. I know I was reviewed, and they said, "Oh, there, this is a mishmash of old material and new." And I'm like, "Yeah, I've been, I've been trapped in my flat." What for the fuck a do you year. think I've been doing? Yeah, what do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> so that that also terrifies that. me when you got a reviewer who seems to, they seem to know your entire back catalogue, <laughs> and they got some old stuff in there, and you go, "I don't even fucking remember what was in my show last year." I don't like. No, if you could tell me what jokes I did last year, that would be really handy because I can't remember. <laughs> so you were like that are you like that anyway before you got into comedy are you quite sort of do you overthink things anyway oh quite my like that? god yeah yeah um i yeah a hundred percent i and i'm trying to think in what sort of capacity but like i don't know i think like i i, I something i was really nervous about for instance when i was about 11 years old was um we had a school trip to a place in Wales in like the Brecon Beacons for like a weekend in year seven. Yeah. And there was like some school talent show on the final night. And I did a really n- 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 mean impression of what I basically did impressions that night. And I, I did a really mean impression of one of the teachers who wasn't there. Um, mm. And it went down really well with the kids, but uh, I, I, I didn't, I, I just didn't in the moment I was like, this is this feels amazing, and I didn't stop to think. There are teachers watching this who are going to probably tell me off. And um, I remember that there was like a that one of the teachers just stood out. So I, one of, one of my school friends told me as we were sort of going to bed, I was absolutely dying for a piss, and he said, um, "You know, one of the teachers is just waiting outside the bathrooms, like for you, so they can have a word with you." What? And so I just held in fucking gallons of piss all night because I was so terrified because I was like, I can't talk to them. And then the next morning, sure enough, she called me over and she was like, what What was that about? And I was like, no, that wasn't an impression of that teacher. No, I was doing an impression of him. I just mentioned some random celebrity and she was like, oh, right, okay, fine. And I, I felt okay about it and relaxed. But on like the school coach home, they start. They just showed us some random tape of the same school trip that some other school kids had been on in previous years. And they showed like, uh, some kids in the year above us or whatever, they showed their school talent show. And I was thinking, oh, fuck, did they film? Did they film last night? Because if so, that's going to be shown to that teacher at some point. And I would go through for about what would have been about five or six years of school, once every three weeks, would just sit in silence for like two hours in my room, just thinking my life's going to be over the second that oh. thing comes out. I'm going to get expelled. I'm going to get expelled, and I was so so scared. And again, and it, and it was it was it was because I had no control over that. I mean, I'd, I had had control over that, but and, and looking back, it was like, oh, I just gave a teacher a, a dumb voice and just did an impression of stuff they said. It was it wasn't that even that yeah. bad. But as a kid, you you think, oh, that's, that's the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. And um, so I was really really nervous all the time about it. And I think it was because as well, occasionally in lessons with that teacher, some of my school friends would occasionally like 
loudly make reference to it in really cryptic ways around the teacher and it was like it's gonna someone's he's eventually gonna snap and just go so what's this about and um it was just be it was just not being in control of that thing but you know it's gonna absolutely (laughs) ruin your life i wonder if that has had an effect on the current mindset of stuff like reviews because you go i've done my bit say i've performed my show to the best of my abilities i've performed in front of an audience who enjoyed it and i'm really proud of the construction of it but now I've got to wait to hear whether or not a reviewer understood it perfectly, didn't like mishear certain sentences or whatever, and go, "Yeah, that just didn't sound like a joke." What you, like that? That then terrifies me to go right. I'm now put, putting this in the hands of someone who I have no control over. That that that's what always sort of yeah. scares me. So I think I th- so I I probably wasn't like that before the age of about eleven. Then that happened, um, and then yeah, I think I was um, I was really overcautious. Uh, for a lot of like my teenage years and stuff like that, and I, I'd, I'd, I'd almost like this. This, this sounds ridiculous, but I think I'd almost like practice conversation. If I was going to like a party, I practice stuff in my head that might come up as a conversational topic and stuff like that, and be like, what would I say in that situation? And just to make sure that you're as in control of the situation as possible. And very yeah. occasionally, in some like slumdog millionaire esque way someone would say the exact thing that I had like the perfect answer. So I, I, you'd occasionally come up with like an amazing joke that looked like it was like on the spot. And in reality, you don't want to tell people, no, that's uh, I actually got that joke from a conversation I had in my head three weeks ago about this polling party. <laughs> <laughs> really like me, I do. I, I really do overthink stuff. I, and I take it to, and it, just, it isn't just like, Oh well, you know, well that's I've done that now. I'll, I'll, all right, I'm sure it'll be fine. But it might be a bit shit for a bit, but I'm always like, that's it, that's it. Now it's done. I'm always, I always catastrophize. It's always that's it. Everyone's gonna hate me. This is the end. I'm done. And you're like, no, you just, yeah. You just, I mean, you just I, did it. I mean, yeah, I, I, I it, it's so ridiculous, and I, I really like whenever someone who I know, like, or respect, or anything like that has messaged me and been like. Sorry, I just, I said something to you last week and it's really been bothering me that maybe you thought <laughs> I meant this. And I, and I've, in those occasions, I always ring the person back and I'm like, thank you so much. But it's not what I thought at all. You're all good. But thank you for making me realise it's not just me who thinks in this way. I couldn't, I, I didn't, I, 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 I didn't even know what conversation you're talking about. Of course that was, you know, mm. that, that makes me feel really nice and sort yeah. of relaxed about those sort of situations. <laughs> knowing that like, of course no one cares, you know. Um, it's like when you think back, when, like we all do it when you go, oh, I remember that thing that I did in 1999 or whatever. And this stuff I did like way back when I was a kid. I remember being at school. This popped into my head yesterday. So we had an open evening in the school and parents that were looking to bring their kids to, to, the, to the next, to the secondary school. Mm. They, had, like, they were coming around, they were showing you all the good bits of the school. We had a few of our students in like to do some work whilst the parents came around and had a look and see what if they, if they could bring, if they wanted to bring their children to that school. And I had my school uniform, but I had these brand new shoes that I really wanted to wear. Now we had to wear black shoes, but I really liked these new shoes and they were brown. And I had those on. And I remember just sitting in the classroom and the teacher came through and he went, Wilson, what have you done? He goes, you've got brown shoes on. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but they're new. He went, this is to show the school, show that the school is the, the best school in the in the in the area. And you know, you wearing those shoes just shows it shows a lack of discipline. I said, this and never like And this was in 1987. And I was like, oh God, I remember that. I bet he thinks I'm an idiot. I'm like, he doesn't know it's <laughs> me. I'm a I'm a 50-year-old man now. This isn't he if, if, if even he's not going to, but even if he was ever to think about it. He's still going to, he's not going to go, there was a little boy with brown shoes on. He's not going to think, oh yeah, he's a 50 year old man now. He does stand up comedy. I'm not that person. Why am I worried? But do you still think about it? Does it still pop into your head? It's like, fuck, I made a mistake there. Yeah. (laughs) All the time. Oh God, that was a ridiculous thing. Like when I worked, I used to work at Curry's after I left school. And the guy, I've I've mentioned this on here before because it bothers me still. The Mm. manager, when he took me on, he knew I wasn't great at the job, but he he took a chance. He took me on and then he gave me his commission. He said, look, you can have my first couple of months commission just to get you in the door because the money's not great. Wow. And I ended up, I ended up just, I I abandoned the job. I couldn't do it. I was so ungrateful because I was was a kid. And even now I'm like, oh, I want to find him and I want to tell him that I realise now what he did for me. Yeah, he's not thinking that. He's thinking there's a 16 year old kid that, that took the piss. Yeah, off. and it was two months out of his whole life. And yeah. you know, it, even if he was pissed off, it's probably fine. It, like, 
Yeah. yeah. He doesn't remember me. Yeah. But I, I, I kind of want to, I don't know about you, but I'm just like, I need to know. I need to know. I, I need to know they're okay. Like, yeah. this isn't so much about me anymore. I, ne- I need to know that they're <laughs> fine. I had this, this is so weird, this radio station I worked at when I used to live in Sheffield, one of the presenters, he'd sent like a demo tape to a big station. They'd been like, yeah, we'd love for you to present on one of our shows. And like that day he like slept in or something stupid like that. And then was so anxious, didn't turn up to like the second show either and um, was really, really nervous about it. And he said, the boss has emailed me and I can tell it's not going to be a nice email. Can you read it for me? And I read it and it was, uh, yeah, yeah, this guy's career was over, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I just had the same man in front of me and he said, do you know what? Don't tell me what it says. I I don't want to know. And he just carried on with his regular job, didn't think about this big radio station ever again. But I was like, "How, how do you not, want to know what's in that email I need, <laughs> yeah. if, if i heard someone's angry at me i need to know like i i need to know and i need to know that they're not still angry um <laughs> yeah I, 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 yeah i just it's always used to bother me in films and tv shows and stuff like that if i saw something dreadful happen to like a, a character it was fine if i saw like that through to the end you sort of go oh yes. this character's really miserable and then at the end they die that's sad okay it would bother me more if there was a character you saw like some background character something dreadful happens to them and then you never see them again because i'm like and are they all, all right yeah i don't know i just like <laughs> it was really weird i i like that for some reason when i was like a teenager i saw final destination 2 which is just right. the dumbest horror film and you see all these characters dreadful things happen to them but you see them from the beginning of their lives to the end of their life not the beginning of their lives but you see them from like the beginning of the film to the end of their lives and you know how that's sort of resolved and you don't care about any of them they die in horrific circumstances but you're like these yeah. are such poorly written characters i don't care then the film ends with a barbecue where a barbecue explodes it kills like a kid and he gets killed in front of his mum and the mum screams and that's meant to be the funny ending to the film but I remember just being really bothered as a teenager, being like, um, what? <laughs> she, that was her only kid. Why you can't end a film like that? That's horrible. I need to know that she's like, in time, went through a grieving process and they maybe have another kid who we just didn't see on the screen and so they've at least got some level of continuity in their family it just yeah for some reason that just really i just needed to know i just i i needed 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 to know so that's why like if anyone's ever if i've ever known anyone's like pissed off at me or something like that i'll happily lose all dignity in myself and just be like i'm really sorry i just i really need to, i really need to know that you're not still annoyed at me or yeah 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 it's, it's utterly it, pathetic but i'm just like it, I, I need it for my own sake i think it gets easier as you get older because i was the same it used to keep me up at night i, I had this this mad need to be liked by everybody and you mm. just you just can't you're gonna you're gonna rub up the wrong way against people things are gonna happen you're gonna fall out with people and it's not nice you're not you know you don't want to do that but it happens it's just part of life but now i'm at a point where there's a couple of people that i just know now i'm like look we're never gonna make it right you know for my part i'm sorry that we've fallen out i didn't want it to be like that mm. but you're but for some reason they're like no you're done and you're like yeah but we were both to blame for this and but i will never get i'll never get i will never get what i need from that so i have to i've got to let it go and go all right fine i've apologized i've said sorry yeah if you're if if you want to carry on fine but i've done my bit and it's difficult now and again i'll go oh i should ring him but there's no point. I, I've no never point. had the guts to be the person who like decides that. I've never been the person who's been like, right, we're through. I'm never talking to you again. I've ne- no. never. Because I, 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 because if I said to someone, do you know what? I never want to see you again. I, I like, I, I, and I never want to talk to you again. If they, if they even turned around to me and said, well, I never want to see you again. I'd be like, no shit. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean, you know, like, and I mean, cause I'm like, well, they're in charge now. They're in, they're in charge of the conversation. I just can't, I just can't do it. I cannot yeah. do it. I've never been able to like do the whole silent treatment thing with someone I'm annoyed. No. At. I just can't because I, or occasionally I'll like uh, not blank someone, but if I was like annoyed at a housemate, I'd just be a bit off with them, you know, just a bit quiet with them. And they'd be like, you're right. And I'd be like, yeah. And then they'd be like, fuck you, man. And I'd be like, no shit. No, sorry. <laughs> sorry. 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 Take me back. Take me back as a friend, please. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. It's pathetic. I'm no, I, I like, I genuinely don't, I don't see a situation in which I'm going to get better, better at that. <laughs> like, no. Ever. It's, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I've, I'm the same. There's, there's been, there's, a, there's a couple of people that t- 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 too many, too many things have been done where you kind of go, ah, oh, listen, this is, this is fucked. I deserve better than that. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tolerate that. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they went, 
I bet if they messaged you and said, can we talk? You'd bloody talk to them. Uh, yeah, bloody would, wouldn't I? Yeah, I would. because don't don't you want everything to be better with everyone? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, I imagine yeah, yeah. for some people, there's a certain satisfaction in being like, oh yeah, I cut that person out of my life completely. I'm never. There's, there's got, I'm sure there's a satisfaction there, but at the same time, I'm like, do you just want everyone to be? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Can't but yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know if it even comes from a need to be liked as such. I think for me, it just comes from a need to not be in trouble. I'm, yes. I'm really scared of being in trouble. Which I, is, I can't which is, make phone calls. As an adult, it doesn't come up. I, I am, I like, I'm, the, I'm a self-employed individual who, like, if I, if I, if I got like in trouble with a, a comedy promoter, like a, a any, I can't think of any, even like the biggest comedy club chain. If they just suddenly turned around to me and went, "We really didn't like your set the other night. We don't want you to ever come back." Obviously, I'd be absolutely gutted. But I cannot think of a chain where that would be career ruining for me. Where you go, "I, I don't know how I'm gonna." I t- I'm at that club every. There's no. There's no place I perform at every single week or every single month. There's no place no. I'm like. There's no one place I'm really rely on. On and so, I yeah. I I just I'm just absolutely terrified of being in trouble. I I think um, I probably chose the wrong jobs for it as someone who was scared of being in trouble, like, cause obviously like in comedy, you meant, you're meant to say stuff. I, I, I don't, I, I'm not one of those who describes to the notion that sort of like, we're meant to push buttons and be the most outrageous. We're oh, meant to say yeah, the most yeah, I don't mean yeah. that. I don't mean that at all. But like you, the whole point of comedy is a punchline comes from surprise. If someone predicts punchline, they don't laugh at it. It comes from surprise. So sometimes, you, you know, you say stuff that's really disgusting or really, ju- and obviously I'm not someone who's in any way a controversial comedian, but, you know, occasionally you, say, you have to say something that's really gross or really shocking or whatever like that. But also you never know what's going to, you, you never know what's going to push someone's buttons in, you know. And I, like I, I had, um, I was doing a preview a couple of months ago and someone came up to me and said uh, that this was the first, they used to come to this club all the time with their sibling. And this is the first time they'd come since their sibling took their own life. And I was like, I'm right. really sorry to hear that. And they, you know, I mean, congratulations on coming back today and stuff like that. And they said they sort of enjoyed the comedy night. And they said, so we were, she said, I felt a bit, I don't know, a bit, uh, she said, I'm not, it's not a criticism at all, but I felt a bit like tense, I guess, when you made that one joke. And I thought, oh, in my set, there is a joke about, it's about Hitler's suicide, but it's about suicide nonetheless. Mm. And I suddenly thought, oh shit, it's about that. And um, she mentioned a joke I'd done about a particular object. And that particular object was what her sister used to take her own life. And I, I just thought, mm. oh my God, it's such a, it's such a minuscule object. I, th- I, I would never, you, you never know. I had a joke about a speedboat in a show I did a couple of years ago. And someone came up to me afterwards and went, my best friend was killed by a speedboat. And it was like, oh, God, I'm really sorry. I, 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 it's just a net. It was just a noun. Nothing you can do about that. The, yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's that's not what this audience member was saying at all. She wasn't being like, you shouldn't do that joke. She was like, uh, she was like, what she was saying was, it's really weird the thought process I had of, oh my God, that, that I can't believe that's been brought up. It was comedy night and stuff like that. But we had a really nice talk and stuff like that. And she, she'd sort of really enjoyed herself at the night. But, um, I, I, but in, in, in that regard, if you're scared of being in trouble, being comedy is the wrong career for that because you never know what you're going to say that could upset someone in that particular moment, you know? Um, and similarly, uh, the fact that I used to work as like a newsreader was a terrifying job to have because if you if you breach Ofcom's broadcasting guidelines severely enough, <laughs> like you can go oh, to yeah. jail if you like if you if you if you say wow. the wrong stuff about someone on air or anything about like I mean you can you can accidentally you know defame someone commit contempt of court and all this sort of stuff just purely from just saying just words. Just, yeah, I, I, there was a story I covered years and years and years ago where it was something that a domestic violence charity were doing. And I um, interviewed a woman who'd been a victim of domestic violence and we did this big story and feature on her. And her family really got behind the story we were doing. And uh, I gave it to the breakfast newsreader. This is a radio station I worked at like 10 years ago. I gave it to the breakfast newsreader. She changed some of the language herself just to make it fit her vocal style. Um, but in doing so, said that this woman had been abused by her partner. Um, and I got a phone call the next day from the family saying why did you say on the news her partner's really upset that you said he domestically abused her the story was about her brother domestically abusing her oh, and what happened is the breakfast wow. news reader just obviously just made that obvious assumption of domestic violence where it's going to be about it's going to be about the husband yeah and um i was just absolutely i i felt awful for that sort of mistake and really apologized to the guy i mean it wasn't it was the other news reader who made the mistake but i just thought one of us here at this radio station is going to really really be in 
deep, like legal, yeah, yeah, serious yeah. trouble as a result of this. And it was just through just the slightest misstep of just saying a sentence. I spoke to the family, went around to visit them and stuff like that. And we, we sort of papered it over and uh, I was really scared, but they were really understanding about it and reasonable about it. And But yeah, it, uh, like... Um, in every occupation I've ever had, it's all, it, there's always been some level of stakes where you sort of go, if I if I say the wrong thing or upset someone, then no, every, this is all over. This is all fully over. Um, yeah. In a yeah. way that I've always envied any friend of mine who works in, in an office where they don't need to say a single word. I'm like, that sounds brilliant. That sounds so good. <laughs> it's oh, so man. interesting. Any friends of mine who are like actuaries or anything like that, I'm like, yeah, I'd love that. If I could do maths, <laughs> oh, man, I'd love that. Never. I, it's so interesting you bring that up. I said this a little while ago. I said, I'm I'm petrified of being in trouble. This is why I can't make phone calls. This is why I can't get back to people because I'm like, oh, I should have done that. Oh, they're going to be angry. Oh, they're going to be annoyed. I'm like, again, I'm a 50-year-old man. Yeah. And in, in any other situation, I'm, I'm cool. I'm like, yeah, whatever, I'm fine. But when it comes to being in trouble, it's like I can't, if I have to ring a promoter and go, mate, listen, I'm really sorry, I can't do that gig. Oh my god! Horrified. I can't do it. I can't do it. I will bend <laughs> over backwards to the point I'm like, I will pay you the gig fee, and I, I've already, I'll sort you an act now, and I will, be, I'll make sure I get the, I'll get Michael McIntyre to replace. I'll get a much better actor to replace me. I will bend over backwards for something, and then every day I get emails from promoters being like, "Hey, we've had a dropout with half an hour to spare. Can anyone make it to Northampton?" And I sort of go, "Oh, this yes. shit happens all the time," and people are obviously all the just time. bringing up promoters being like, oh, "I'm not coming tonight." And then that's it. I just, and then, and then, and then getting themselves rebooked. And I think the more you apologize, the more people not take advantage. I think they subconsciously take advantage of that because yeah, the more you're yeah. like really like clasping your hands and being like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I think part of them, something switches people's brains if they go, this person must have fucked up. Why are they like, why are they, why are they looking so worried? They must have done something really bad. Whereas if, <laughs> if you literally rang a promoter and said, I'm not coming tonight, fuck you. They'd be like, okay, great. Can you do next week? Can you do, you know? So I was trying to force myself to like, if I had to drop out of a gig, just be a bit more non-committal about it and be sort of like, really sorry about that. Uh, not going to be able to make it work. I, look, I, I, it, here's a list of people who I think will probably be available and good. And I'd, I'd love to do it next month if you're, you know, if yeah. you'll have me. But um, I, because also if someone's late replying to you to an email, Rich, do you get, do you get really angry? No. No, exactly. No. I don't know anyone who does. I don't know anyone who sits snarling at Gmail every day, furious every time a message comes up because people have got other shit going on in their lives. But in my head, I've still got like this idea of like that everyone's a teacher and that everyone is like, all my teachers at school I found absolutely terrifying because they put on this demeanour of being terrifying Ooh. teachers, which is a, a, I just can't get my head around that thought process. I understand that someone wouldn't necessarily want to be like try and be like the cool teacher or anything like that. I had teachers whose entire demeanour, which you'd see them sort of laughing with one of their colleagues. And if you needed to get their attention, you sort of stand near them. They're having a real laugh and joke with one of the other teachers. And as soon as they turn to you, their face just turns to a snarl. And it's like, what is it, you wicked boy? And you sort of go, what the fuck are you doing? Who talks like that? No, who naturally speaks like that? Why do you hate children so much? So why are you at this school? Yeah, It's yeah, so yeah. weird. And so as a result, I, in my head, I'm like, well, that's what all grown-ups are. All grown-ups are like that. Oh man, I had, oh, I can't even remember his name. He was the French teacher. <clears throat> and Imagine if I just answered that for you. If I went, yeah, it was Mr. Stanmore. <laughs> <laughs> it was something like that, actually. And he was, he looked like a vampire. He was always hunched over. He always wore the same clothes. He was quite, a, quite a, hunched over. Just a very creepy looking dude. I'm sure he was a, probably a beautiful man. Grandkids, wonderful, wonderful human being. But he used to sit in the in the lab and he'd sit up on his thing and you'd have the headphones on and you're doing your French thing. And then you knew you knew when he was listening to you because you'd hear the click and then you'd just see him glaring at you with his vampire eyes just and it used to horrify me. And then he'd come over and then he'd and then he'd like he'd come through the through the headphones. He's like, No, that's wrong. Do it again. Do it again. This, this, this. and you uh, to the point. I that is the class I used to bunk off the most. I just couldn't face it. I just have nightmares about him. I couldn't That's, go. I, 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 I have go. nightmares about my DT teachers. <laughs> I haven't done DT since I was sixteen. Like it's so dumb, and I didn't even want to do DT. And I remember at the time thinking, I'm so scared of these people who are furious that I'm not as passionate about DT as they've decided I should be. <laughs> and I, little do they know, I am not ever under any circumstances going to go into any profession that would require me to have a good understanding of systems and control or resistant materials. 
But it's so dumb. Um, I I hope teachers aren't like that now. I I can't imagine they are. But they have to be. But there must be people I went to school with who have gone on to become teachers and when they're 60 will be sort of calling children wicked and insolent and stuff like that. I think it was just different back then. I think, especially even when I was when I was a kid, I remember one of my teachers, Mrs. Pauls, and this was in the junior school, mm. and it was the summer, and she came in. She went, "Oh, I like it when the little boys have got their shorts on because when they're naughty, I can smack their legs." You know, and it's just it's horrifying. You sort of go, "Well, that person's really ill, aren't they? They're really unwell." Yeah. If that is your yeah. dream, you you like better access to a kid's legs to hit them <laughs> is crazy. <laughs> Uh, I got the first time I ever got really, really yelled at was in year. T- I must have been about six, maybe five, um, and it was at infant school, and uh, we had to colour stuff in. I didn't know I was colourblind at the time, and I drew yeah, the sky what? as like purple, and a tree as like the grass was all brown and stuff like that. And I drew a person as what I thought was like pink, but it was purple, or you know. And she just like screamed at me. And in my head, I'm like, have I altered that memory in my head and changed it? But like, no, looking back, I remember it so vividly. And she was like screaming at me, furious at what a silly, silly child to have drawn the sky as purple. And uh, made me sort of show it in front of a class and stuff like that. And then, um, uh, yeah, and and looking back, I'm like, what was the thought process there? (laughs) Like, what was her (laughs) thought? Like, some serious shit must have gone down in her personal life to take that out on a child you know um and again wouldn't um you know if you're reminded of her of that now she probably wouldn't i mean fortunately i think she's dead now but like i just i i i I, it's just it's that that would not have played an effect on their life at all no Uh, you know the the people who are nastiest and most evil do do that stuff all the time so that's why it's all the more sort of surprising i i I think i'd like i'm someone who's not very I don't think I've ever taken out anger on anyone. And I, I think like I, or I like to think I haven't, but I, I think I'm so slow to anger that if we see it on like a one to 10 scale, that it would take me months and months and months to get to like 10. But as a result, it then takes me months and months and months to cool down. And when I, right. and it will be, it will be on the back of my mind all the time. But I was like, oh, I'm still pissed off about that. It's that person who cut me off in traffic. That was the moment that sent me to a 10 and I'm going to be a 10 every time I get in the car for the next month, you know? And I remember dating a girl from Spain about uh, nine years ago or so. And what happened was she'd, she'd go to 10 in a split second. And as a result, she'd go back down to zero again within a split second. So right, I think like yeah. everyone's got their own scales of anger. So what happened is we'd walk out in traffic, a car wouldn't sort of, you know, a car would like sort of screech to a halt. She would like smack the bonnet of the car, scream at the driver or whatever. <laughs> we'd, we'd, go into, we'd go into like WH Smith or whatever and I'd sort of go, what was that all about? And she'd go, what? And I'd go, the car thing. And she'd go, what car? Th- oh, that, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, she, and she'd just forgotten wow. it. And it was like, if someone yelled at me like that, I would remember that for the rest of my life. I remember every single time in my life I've been told off. It's been about 20 times I remember all of them. It's like, <laughs> it's so mad. I have, I have an aversion to men with moustaches because when I was six... Is I that why you dog- grew one as part of a beard? To be like, I think, I think I was trying to like, yeah, trying to counteract the feelings because I worked at this it's donkey Batman dog. dressing up as a bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and I just... I was working on this stall and this guy had this, I don't know, I can't remember what we were selling. It might have been just second-hand stuff. <clears throat> and I was only six. And I just remember, for some reason, I just ended up going to sleep. I was part of the Cubs and we were supposed to be helping, but mm. I was six. So I just ended up curling up in a ball and falling asleep. And I remember being woken up and this guy was standing over me, screaming at me, just going, you're useless. You are useless. Stand up, stand up. You're supposed to be helping me. You're supposed to be helping me. And then the other kid that I was with, Simon, he got all these pop uh, cans of pop and all this other stuff mm. and he, the guy just hated me and I'm like I'm and now and I just had to every time I see someone with a moustache I'm like oh that's that fella it's that guy yeah and I was six <laughs> 44 years ago he's probably dead he's probably dead <laughs> ridiculous so like when Michael Owen grew a big hand on my moustache for Movember were you like oh fuck he's back Kick every television time in. anytime anyone has a moustache <laughs> Poirot, you're terrified of Poirot. <laughs> it's just that, that initial kind of, oh, that dickhead from when yeah, I was yeah, six. Yeah. But I, I do, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm really chilled out. But what happens is things build up and then out of the blue, I'll be like, oh, for fuck's sake. And then I'll start having a go at somebody and then, and then they'll be like, oh, where's this coming from? I'm like, oh, and then I have to walk away. 
And then I mean, you have to, have to be like, oh, because 20% of it was that shopkeeper from two weeks ago. Yeah. 5% of it was the person who nearly drove into your car last week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that, you know what? You're right. I didn't do the thing that you asked me to do. And I'm sorry. I just, it all built up. He said to me saying like, yeah, you're right. Sorry. I should have done that thing. He's like, why are you always getting at me? And just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doesn't that very often, but when it does, it's not very nice. And it's explosive. To, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, I'm working I, on it though. I don't. I just don't have the guts to confront anyone. I would rather bend over backwards and apologize. Like if I like I I uh, if there's anyone like I've I've lived with people before who are really quick to temper and they're they're you know if they get really really angry and even if I know they're fully in the wrong about something, I would rather buy them a crate of beers and apologize to them even if they are fully in the wrong. Just to be like, I know I won't be angry for the rest of the day. I'll be angry for the next hour, but I'll be fine in an hour's time they're going to be angry for weeks. So it's best to just pretend to apologize, even though I know in my head that they're in the wrong and just go, because that way everyone's happier. Um, my therapist told me that's a very bad idea. But yeah, because um, then I've been you're... doing it for years and I think it works. <laughs> it works. I, I'm not doing... on bad terms with anyone. Because <laughs> then, then what will happen is you'll go, yeah, but you're just saying that. You, I know I'm wrong. <laughs> and then yeah, you that's know annoying because you go, well, what do you want then? <laughs> I'm I'm I wouldn't I don't know it's not necessarily bad terms but yeah there's a couple of people that it's bad terms but that's because relationship went south and that's so that just happens it's oh yeah but I mean I, uh, rela- relationships people, is a yeah. separate thing I, I think yeah. there are, like there are friends from school and union uh, personal life and stuff who I could probably get in touch with now and they'd probably be a bit surprised um, but uh, I'm sure we'd have a conversation. But yeah, there's certain people like, you know, there's people if I if, if we dated for like six months, 10 years ago, if I rang them up out of the blue, they'd be like, what? <laughs> what what disease are you ringing up to tell me that you have? Like, there's, what, yeah. what could you possibly be calling me for? I, I wouldn't, I, I, I'm not sure I see that as bad terms. I just see that as just no terms. We're just non, no, we're on no terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But totally. even then, I, I, I always worried that there was. I, I've only ever been out with someone who I truly thought was genuinely a nasty individual, like really genuinely unpleasant person. And I was really, really scared of them. I'm really, really, really scared of them. And when we broke up, I really wanted to have the guts to just sort of be like, I, I, I hate, I hate you. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, I, this is all, these are all the things you do wrong. And I think you're a terrible person. But in my head, I was so, even though they worked in like, they worked in like insurance or something like that. And at the time I was probably like semi-professional comedian in my head. I was like, I'm so, so certain comedy is going to go wrong for me somewhere. I will end up just like temping again, just doing any temp job I can. One day I'll end up working for her and I will have to go end up in a job interview room and she will be interviewing me and I will have to be, I will have to apologize for anything bad I said. So instead I just, we just broke up and I did, you know, was just like, I guess it just didn't work out between us. But in reality, I was like, you were the, thinking you were the worst person I've ever met. But I was too terrified to tell her that because I thought I'd, there'll be some situation in which I'm working for her in the future, 100%. It'll be somebody else that will say it to her. It's not your place. You're not that kind of person. So it'll be someone else. If, if that's what they're like, down the line, hope. Hope. there will be someone that will go, do you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's what you have to go. Because uh, the other thing as well is that confrontation upsets you it upsets me like i it happens but very rarely but when it does it just ruins my day so i don't like it i don't want to do that some people can cope with it like we already said but i having known someone very similar i i'm not in a position to say like you know do you know what the way you treat everybody blah 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 i'm like do you know what you're going to do it again. So this is, you know, this, well, yeah, this is also, just, some people you can say it to. Some people you're just better off just walking off and going. I think, I think I'm terrified of the counterpoint. I've never had arguments because I always sort of think, well, if I've got a problem with someone, then uh, the way I see it is the conversation will go. <laughs> the way I want the conversation to go is I say, look, here is my problem. I, I didn't like some judge of thing you did or said. And the aim is that they will go, I'm really sorry about that. And then you carry on with your lives. <laughs> but obviously that's not how arguments work. So what happens is I'll say something, I'll put forward what I think is a really cogent point and they'll go, yeah, but it's only like that time you did such a thing. And I go, oh, fuck, yeah, okay. I <laughs> I wasn't expecting a counterpoint. So now I've got to, I, I spent ages constructing this first line of argument and now I've got to come up with a second line on the fly. Yeah. So I've, I've never won an argument ever because I've only ever had about three and I've lost them all. 
I've lost them all because <laughs> what's happened is I've said, I've got a problem with the way you did such a thing. And they've said, well, maybe you shouldn't do such a thing. And I've gone, yeah, sorry, sorry. Forget I said it. <laughs> please, please. Can we, ju- can we just forget this conversation took place? I've, I've, I, I hate the atmosphere I've created. I preferred it a few seconds ago and we were both happy, ignorant and happy. And I, I want it to be like that again. And I, for one, wish you, I want you to stay as you are, Glenn, because I think you're great. And I've oh, that's very really kind enjoyed of you to talking say, to you I, today. I think my, my, my girlfriend has sort of said to me, like, please, please, we'll do it in the calmest way. But if you've ever got any any issue with me, please just sit me down. I'll, I'll know that it's a big conversation and we'll just we'll just talk about it in the most gentlest terms possible because she, she knows that I am absolutely incapable of confrontation and stuff like that. So she's very understanding yeah. about it. And so we'll, we'll talk about it in like the most gentle terms, which is, sounds absolutely pathetic on my part, but it's like, it is the, it's either that, or I just don't, I won't say anything at all. Um, so it's the, yeah, it's the only way I can do it. I think that's it. It's like with, with my partner, again, we had a conversation the other day and then I just said, look, I just feel like you've got a lot on. I'm, I've got a lot on, but and I don't want to burden you with what I'm worrying about. And she's like, but then we'll never, we'll never sort anything out. So, she said, just tell me. So I sent her a big list on WhatsApp of what I was worrying about. She went, and now you feel better. I went, I do actually. <laughs> so and now you've got to go through know. the whole list. That's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> That's so scary. <laughs> I think I'm just going to put it under the whole thing of baggage. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. But Glenn, this has been lovely. Thank you so yeah, much for rich. talking. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, where you're on in Edinburgh? Where are you in Edinburgh? I am, I'm on at the in Pleasance Courtyard at the Cabaret Bar at uh, four p.m. Well, five past four every day, uh, every single day of the Fringe, and then um, Nationwide Tour starts in September, like a week after the Fringe. So uh, yeah, all the tickets for all of those collectively are on uh, GlenmoreComedy.com. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the Fringe. It'd be nice to see you up there, man. Oh, and you, mate. I'm going to come and see you because all my stuff's later on in the evening. So right. I'll come and see you. I love I love your work. Cabaret Room is a great room as well. Fantastic. Oh, room. yeah. I did my last show there in 2019. And honestly, it felt, it, I, it just felt great. It felt like it is, it feels nice to be in a, I'd never been in like a purpose built venue before. You know, every, <laughs> you, you do get so used in Edinburgh to, to, you know, even like the biggest, rooms you see people performing you peel back a black curtain and you go there's a basketball oh we're in a basketball court yeah. oh okay right and so it, it, it feels so nice to have a year where you go oh my god this is a, this this would function as a venue the rest yeah. of the year um <laughs> and then because uh, i'm like uh, the next year i'll be on to yeah the, the aim is basketball court that's the that's the that's the aim i want to <laughs> look forward to i look forward to helping you put the black cloth up to cover it Thank all you up very much <laughs> and where can we find you on the socials glenn uh, i'm the news at glenn at twitter uh, and uh, Glam Roger Moore on Instagram. Excellent. Thank you so much, Glenn. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Insane in the membrane. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Made by darkhorsedigital.co.uk Shooting, live streaming and podcast production.